We have a great responsibility. We have people that watch us online. And uh, we're so grateful that you're tuned in with us, whether you're watching this right now or you're going to be watching it later. And we pray that God touches you, speaks to you, that you receive, that you're not just watching to watch, but that you receive something when you're watching. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Um, take a moment, tell your neighbor how happy you are to see them. And then tell your other neighbor to open up his Bible. You might notice your neighbor doesn't have a Bible. Then you can ask, where's your Bible? If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, you can tell your neighbor, look to the screen. We're not going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there if you want, but we're, not gonna, we're just going to be referencing a few things out of Matthew 6. But tonight, I think we're going to take uh, a few weeks to talk about what we start talking about tonight. So if, if you're uh, a very diligent note taker, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about, He sees my heart. He sees my heart. Anybody take notes still? Any, any, any old school believing Baptized, born-again Christians, taking notes, anybody? He sees my heart. And uh, well, we're going to take some time, maybe these, I, we didn't really come up with a, a name or anything for this series, didn't really want to even call it a series, but we're just going to take our time on a topic where we're going to focus on the inward life, uh, the secret life, the private life, if you can say it that way. And tonight we're going to start talking about our heart and the fact that God sees our heart. Now tell your neighbor, God sees your heart. I don't see it, but God sees your heart. And I think um, as we get in, as we get into this topic, I think when we begin to talk about our heart, we have gone to two extremes in the church. I think the first extreme when we start talking about our heart is, you know, and, and when I say this, maybe I'm going to highlight a little bit of the charismatic movement, a little bit of the more conservative movement. And when we talk about either you're charismatic or you're conservative or you go to a more charismatic church or conservative church, it really uh, does not matter. And uh, there are things that we can take from conservative churches and there are things we can take from charismatic churches. And there's some things we need to forget about in charismatic churches and some things we need to forget about in the conservative churches. But I think in the charismatic church, I don't know, I just think that when we talk about the heart, we have gone to the extreme that everything is permissible to me because you don't see my heart. I can dress how I want, talk how I want, worship how I want, do what I want, go where I want. But I am free. But I think the real definition of freedom is not doing what you want. It's doing what he wants. If you're doing what you want, you're still bound. But in the charismatic church, everything has become permissible for us. There are more people pointing at the charismatic church as a stumbling block than an example. Because everything has become okay because it's not about what you see, it's about what you don't see. But I think 
it matters what people see because it reflects what they don't see. I think the heart is very much connected to the way we talk, to the way we live, to the way we dress, to the way we act, to the way we treat people, to the way we work. I think the heart reflects much in how we live our life. But I think the other extreme is that we can present ourselves to have a perfect life, but our heart is dark. And I think the conservative church in some shape, in some way, shape, or form has done maybe not on purpose a job like this, but it's almost like a, a Pharisee movement where they're saying the right things, they're telling people the right things, but inside there is darkness. They are whitewashed tombs. I think they dress better than most of us. I think in some way they talk better than most of us. But just by your outward appearance and the way you live your life does not mean your heart is clean. The Pharisees were so stuck on this that they attacked Jesus how he washed his hands. They attacked Jesus on how, how, whether, why they didn't fast. They attacked Jesus on them taking heads of grain as they're walking through a field on the Sabbath. They attacked Jesus on the, on the Sabbath for healing people. Everything became so strict in how they live, but the heart was far from God. So far that when God was with them, they didn't notice him. And so I think we've gone to these two extremes. And I think we can find, in Jesus' name, a place in the middle where it matters. It matters the way we look, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we do church. But it just as much matters what is in our heart. And my friend, you can fool your neighbor, but you cannot fool God. You can even fool your pastor, but you can't fool God. There are what I call in this time and age professional sinners. Professional sinners. They'll say everything right. They'll smile right. They'll act right. They'll dress right. They'll, they'll even worship right. But behind the scenes and when, I, and when no one's looking, there is sin. And this not might be something that you're openly struggling with, but there is a darkness that we hide because we try to put our best foot forward. I don't blame some people for running from the church. When, when they come to church, all they hear is about, hey, you shouldn't be looking like that. You need to change because, and they, and they don't know that this person just walked in from the street. Are you here? God sees my heart. He sees my heart. He sees my heart. He sees your heart. I don't see it, but he sees your heart. He sees mine. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about fasting. He says, I don't want you to fast like people are fasting. Like leaders are fasting, like Christians are fasting, Jewish people are fasting. I don't want you to fast like they're fasting. Because they fast in a way that everyone would see how they're fasting. But I want you, some of you look like this when you fast. You got bags under your eyes, your hair's jacked up. <laughs> Which you wore when you got out of bed, you're still wearing and usually, the, usually the, the, the hardcore fasters always walk around with water bottles. 
and, and, and the, the, the devoted fasters have lemon in their water bottle. You know, as soon as you see this person come to the front during prayer service, and they got a bottle with, with and they said it like on their seat or like, in, not under, they said it like a, a, a little bit away from their seat so you can see it. And, and then they start praying. They start praying. See my, see my bottle? <laughs> they start praying. <laughs> Jesus said, I want you to wash up. I want you to put some oil on your head. Some oil on your head. And then no one would see that you're fasting. And what my father sees in secret will be rewarded. He starts teaching about prayer in the same, script, in the same passage, in the same chapter. He says, I don't want you to pray in public places on street corners, shouting and hollering so everyone sees how you're praying three times a day. I want you to close your door. Not just go into your room. I want you to close your door. I'm, I'm trying to find a lock for my door. My wife's in my bedroom. I don't have a prayer room, sort of say, like a devoted, some of you are so privileged. You have a devoted prayer area. You put candles there and, and just weird stuff. I don't know what you do and why you do that. The incense is not the candle. The incense is your prayer. Uh, I'm just saying. It smells holy in here. Here we go, Lord. And he says, they pray in public places. Now, we're not going to take anything away from public prayer. When we gather as a church, we we offer public prayer or congregational prayer for our church three times a week. So some people, what, three times? I thought we just have prayer on Friday nights. We got prayer on Tuesday, homie. We got prayer on Friday night. We got prayer Saturday morning. Saturday morning. <laughs> but he said, I want you praying in public places where everybody sees what you're doing and sees how you're praying. I want you to go in your room, close your door, and again, my father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. He also in the same chapter, chapter talks about giving. I don't want you to blow the trumpet and watch everybody extend your hand into the tithing basket. You know, as that basket's passing by, you just, you hold it for a little bit. <laughs> and everyone's like, why, why isn't the basket coming? And, and the whole row looks down and, and you, you make sure that the whole row's now looking and you <laughs> begin to drop. And you know, people who, who, who want it to pass by quick, they, don't probably, they probably you know, either got nothing to give or just a little bit to give. But people who hold the thing for too long are those that are given a lot and they want the road to see. And he said, I don't want you to give like that. I want you to give in such a way that your right hand does not know that your left hand is even giving. In John 6, Joe did a wonderful job. He was preaching about this topic last week. John 6, Jesus starts talking about his, bread, his body being bread, his blood to be drank by people and those that drink his blood and eat his flesh. You know, in this story, it says many crowds were following him and then only a few, his disciples, were left. You know, when I read all these things that we've just talked about, some of the things that I started with, you know what conclusion I begin to come to? Is that it might be possible some of the things that right now we focus all of our attention on when it comes to the church and a Christian life, I think it might be possible that God doesn't pay attention to the same things. I want to just offer to you or maybe just 
give, give this to you as an option, but it's possible some of the things that really attract us and some of the things that we really right now in our generation are focusing on when it comes to worship, when it comes to preaching, when it comes to how we do church, how we invite new people, I think it might be possible that if in the time that Jesus was here, everything that the religious people were doing was not something that impressed Jesus. He was not impressed by their prayer. He was not impressed by their fasting. He was not impressed by their devotion. He was not impressed by their giving. He was not impressed by how they do church. And this caught them so off guard that when he showed them the way that he does church, almost in every chapter where he began to do something that they didn't agree with, at the end of that chapter, you know what it ended with? And they begin to plot how to kill him. They begin to plot how to destroy him. They begin to plot how can we remove and get rid of him. Is it possible that the things we focus on right now, God in fact is not focused on, but he's looking behind what you are doing and what is inside of you. The Christian norm was not the norm for Jesus when he came. You know, it makes me just a little bit nervous when everyone starts singing the same songs, preaching the same way, inviting people the same way. You look at every church social media, they all look like they work together in one room. And it makes me nervous because I think if Jesus was here and if he was doing church, there'd be something that would look much different than what we do and what we focus on. If our numbers begin to drop here at youth, many by our physical eyes would say, oh, the youth's falling apart. We don't got much people in the youth anymore. But in John chapter 6, when Jesus gets done preaching, it says many turn away and begin to leave. And 12 are left, and that's all he needed. Can I tell you, if you're watching us and you've got a small youth group, or you're pastoring a small church, or you're pastoring just a little tiny life group, that it does not matter how many people you have, but why you have the people you have. Ah. Right now, we're impressed by crowds. Jesus was never impressed by crowds. He did not care how many. He cared why are they following me. You know what? You, you might be able to hide it from me, but you can't hide it from God. Not why you're coming. Why are you coming? Just by seeing your face, just by you filling your chair, does not mean you're here for the right reason. Come on, I'm thankful that you're here. Yo, tell your neighbor, I'm grateful that you're here. But it's not about how many. It's about why are we here. Can I say something? This church is an original church. Just as much as you are originally made by God. This church is an original church. Just as much as you are an original made by God. God didn't copy and paste when he made this church. God didn't shop around and say, what's the best thing? Let's combine it all together and make church a truth. Some of you think that, but that's not what he did. He made an original church. Just like you an original and so my question, if we are an original church, why in, why in some things that we do, we try to be like somebody else? 
God is not moved. He is not moved, nor is he impressed by us trying to be somebody else. It is only a sign that we don't know who we are. Because what matters more is not how I worship, but why I worship. What matters more is not how I move or shake or, or, or walk or go back and forth or I'm quiet or I'm loud. What matters is why do I do it and now why is in my heart. Forget churches competing against each other. Yo, forget about churches competing with one another. We ain't competing with nobody. We're running our race. There's a mandate on this church. There's something original that God's doing here that we have an obligation to fulfill. You know what? More and more, I am not impressed by the numbers we have at youth conference. In fact, I care less that we fill so many people and so many people into that area. I think what worries me more is the responsibility we have that when that many people come, that God he would give us wisdom and help us and we would be humble to be influencing these people the way you want us to influence them. Yes. A bigger stage just means a bigger responsibility. We're not here to set a trend or a culture for the churches. Forget that garbage. Every church is an original church. No culture of a church should be manipulated or turned to be the same in another church. We have a church here that is moved by the Holy Spirit, that is caused here to be planted by God and has a mandate from God to accomplish everything he's placed us here for. There are churches that are smaller that have more influence. There are churches that are smaller that are doing a greater work. There are churches that are huge that do less than a mini church. Because it's not about how many people you have. It's why you have the many people that you have. You know what one person said? There's a group of, a gathering of pastors. And these pastors were asked a question. They had a little, little panel and they were doing open discussion about some things that are going on in the church. And when one pastor stood up, he said, I got a question to all our pastors here. So he spoke. He said, is it possible to start or plant a church without the Holy Spirit? Now, the right Christian answer, the biblical answer, and everybody said this there, no. Every pastor said, no, no way. And then when he heard all their no's, he said, well, I think different. Listen. He said, I think different. I think that you can. And everybody, you know, some, some just, the more wise just are quiet and they just listen even though they may, maybe disagree. And usually the young people, the younger ones, the younger leaders, you can't, you know, just talking out there, just, just listen. He begins to explain. He said, if you give me $1 million, I'll plant a mega church in any city. I'll go find professional musicians. I'll find somebody that communicates well. I'll teach them how to preach. I'll do life groups. I'll do awesome advertising. I'll spend a bunch of money publicizing this thing in a popular city, and I'll get a, I'll get a church. And as the pastors begin to listen to me, you know what? They all agree. You can, in fact, plant a church without the Holy Spirit. Now, whether or not that church is going to last, that's another question. But behind everything we do, behind the way we worship, behind the way you listen, behind the way we preach, 
much We can see what is in our heart when we get done doing what God's called us to do. And what is it that people are left with? What is it that people are saying after we do what we do? For example, we have a powerful worship session. What is it that young people are saying after powerful worship? You know what it is most of the time? Dang, what a worship set! Bro, that song you were leading, crazy. I just felt like this energy, you know. He doesn't, doesn't even know it. Yeah. Heck of vibes, bro. That was just, it was, it was like flowing here. Man, when you begin to sing that song, bro, that something changed. <laughs> like goosebumps, bro. I just like, I was like ready to throw my seat, man. You know, like. Oh, oh that, that instrumental buildup that we had after song three, bro, oh my goodness, I, I, I literally thought I was going to explode. Like there was, as it was building up, I felt the same energy building up in me. I'm like, oh no, oh no, here it comes, here it comes. And Phil be going crazy like this. I'm like, oh no, 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 Phil, don't do this, no, no, boom. Oh, one of our guys gets them preaching. Bro, what a word, dude. You throwing it down. I don't know why I'm black all of a sudden. I don't know. I don't know. Bro, I can make a rap out of your, out of your sermon, dog. That was just line after line. I'm like, dang, 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 dang. I, I threw a beat in and it started making sense. So I'm like, what? It's funny. I know I'm having a good time. There was a city outreach a long time ago. Big evangelical services they had to reach a city. So they invited big-time evangelists. One dude, one dude. And I think one of our pastors told this story. I'm not going to throw any names in here, who it was. But this is, this is the point of the story. They threw a huge evangelical event, invited big evangelists to start preaching every night. Inviting people from the city. Local churches came together. Big deal. They rented out a huge place. First preacher goes up, preaches a sermon. Wow. Dang, what a sermon. That guy, evangelist. Second dude comes up, same thing. Third dude comes up, same thing. And then the last guy to preach that they invite, older guy, gone to many nations. He gets them preaching. You know what the reaction was? Not what a sermon. What a Jesus. What was the difference between those guys that said everything right, but what the crowd received at the end of it was either looking at men or beholding him? Is it possible that because of what's in our heart and the way and the reason why we do worship, we're leaving people with the wrong response. What they walk away with, they shouldn't be walking away with. You can sing the same song, sing the same sermon, make the same points, but my friend, only God sees what is here. But what's here is revealed in the way the people respond. More and more I'm concerned 
I'm praying about what's here, not about what people see, about what's here when we worship, what's here when we live, what's here when we hang out. We'll get there. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Worship team, or how about we get the keys? Mark, let's go, bro. We're teaming up. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now, we're going to jump in at this crazy story. I'm, I'm, we don't have time to go through the story, read the story, talk about the story. I'm going to summarize it really quick. David is out somewhere else where he should not be, fighting fights that he should not fight. He gets back to Ziglag and he finds that his wife and the, and the wives of his men and their children are all been taken by the Malachites. It says he takes the effort and he goes to begin to pray and seek the Lord. And he says, Lord, shall I pursue them? And the Lord says, pursue them. Okay, are you here? Pursue them and you will recover everything and nothing will be lost. And we're going to jump in as they, he probably takes his effort off and he, they begin this pursuit. And look what happens first. Then they found, the pursuit started, the pursuit started. Then they found an Egyptian in the field. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs. And two clusters of raisins. One of the things I was thinking about naming this is cakes and raisins. But I didn't. So when he had eaten... His strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and nights. That makes sense. David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, here we get a little bit more about who this Egyptian is. Look what it says. He said, I am a young man. When I read a young man meant something, I just got stuck here. I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind. Because three days ago, I fell sick. God never throws people away. The Amalekites in the Old Testament are a great representation of Satan and his army. One person said the only way, the only way a slave can become free, his master doesn't need him. His master sells him or his servant dies. But God always needs us. As soon as this young man fell sick, he was thrown away to die on his own. You know how many people we have in our life? How many people we have on the streets that have been thrown away? This is the work of Satan happening still till his day. As soon as he doesn't need you, he throws you away. 
And my friend, if you're living in sin, if you're not walking with God, this is what Satan will do to you. He will use you as much as he needs you. And when he does not need you, he will throw you away. As soon as this young man fell sick, he was thrown away. And I think it's no coincidence that the man David, who the Bible says is a man after God's heart, on his route to pursue his enemy, comes across a young man. And I thought to myself, they lost their wives and they lost their kids. Where did the cakes and the figs and the raisins come from? David fights and kills people. He ain't no cook. His men ain't no cooks. They grab what their wives give them. If anything, they kill wild animals and eat them. But they got cakes and raisins. You mean, you mean to tell me while David was seeking the Lord in Ziglag, his men started to make cakes and raisins? He sent a hundred to raisin hunt. He sent another hundred to start. What is it called? Girls, kneading, right? Kneading the dough. And I begin to look five chapters earlier. And the Bible says, when David, when David was in a certain area called Carmel, there was a man by the name of Nabal who was a very, very wealthy man. Something like two or three thousand sheep, a thousand goats. He was very wealthy. And David and his men came across his herdsmen. Now, it doesn't tell us what David did. But one of the servants ends up telling us what David did that night. David sends ten men to Nabal. He says, hey, I guarded your guys. I'm just sending out to you some men in peace. I don't mean any harm. I respect you. He just he started being respectful, young man. I respect you. You are a wealthy man, and I come in peace. And all I ask is that there is a feast that's coming up, and ask if there's anything in your house that you can give us to eat. I would gladly take it. And Nabal sends them off. Not just sends them off, I don't have anything, I'm sorry, but sends them off by saying, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? And this servant that hears what Nabal is saying runs to Abigail, Nabal's wife. He says, yo, Abigail, our master, he just pushed away the men that helped us. And he begins to tell her what they did. He said, when we were out herding the sheep and the goats, David and his men became a wall around us. Listen. Became a wall around us. They protected us day and night. And nothing that you have entrusted us with was taken by them. And everything that you entrusted us with, we still have. And we are safe. The servants like Abigail if you don't do something he's about to come and we're all dead we're all dead and Abigail girls you want to find a husband <laughs> Abigail in horror in <laughs> she ain't no whore I just, just hear me out I didn't goodness gracious I can't believe I said that in her Hey, I'm just making sure you're listening, you know, making sure you're listening. Some of you didn't even hear that and you don't know what we're talking about. I just make sure you're listening. And she, in her storehouse, listen, in her storehouse, 
began to take everything they had already prepared. And guess what she takes? She takes some figs, some cakes, some raisins, and a lot of other things. I think the Bible says 200 cakes and 100 handfuls of raisins. Girl had a serious storehouse. Now, girls, this same Abigail became the wife of David. And that's all I'm going to say. I'll let you figure out the rest. And David, five chapters later, runs across a young man and has what he can give to him. But what he gave him had very much to do with what David did at night when no one was watching. How can, the young, how can a young man keep his way pure, the Bible says? By hiding his word in his heart. David could have killed the Egyptian man when he saw him. But you know what Deuteronomy says, and David knew this law? That a servant that's been thrown away cannot be harmed nor be killed. And David, when he ran into this young man, he began to help him. But what he gave him came from a secret place. And what David got from a secret place came from another person's secret place. You know, your, your secret place that we often think is the closet or the prayer room or your bedroom or your car. The Bible talks about the secret place also being your heart. In fact, when Jesus says, my father will reward you for what you do in secret, that word secret is not just a confined space or a private place or, or a secluded place. That private place, that secret place is all the Bible says is your inward being, your inward character. You know, there's things like what David did. You can't just teach that. Pastor Salik was talking about two weeks ago about doing the right thing. There are things that I can't teach you that you will face and you will have to do the right thing. There was something in David. I think, you know what was in David? His word, God's word. He stored his heart with God's word. The Bible says he wrote, he wrote, he wrote so many psalms. He's like, I meditate on your word day and night. It's your word that I fill myself with. And when he ran across these herdsmen, he didn't say, hey, free food. He said, men, they're not ours, but I want you to protect them. It's interesting, the men he was protecting, David was once this man. He knew what it was like to be day and night out in the wilderness with some sheep. There was something in his heart that you, that I did not see, that his men did not see. But in the way he treated people, in the way he behaved and acted, in the way he was towards other people that did not even mean anything to him, it showed us what was in David's heart. Everything that you do or do not do matters. And the way you do it and why you do it just shows what is in your heart. If you can't overcome a certain error in your life, 
whether it be sexual, whether it be anger, whether it be lust, whether it be pride, whether it be anything, my friend, his word hidden in your heart is your secret tool. It's your victory. It's the place that no man sees. It's the place that you can begin to store these things that you will later need. My dad ran into someone just recently. A very, very old time friend, much younger than my dad. My dad remembers how he was born. And we ran into him, ran into him at work. And he's like, yeah, George, Mr. George, is, this, is that you? And they, they started conversating and catching up. You know what this young man said to my dad? He says that of everyone that visited us, he was, this young man was a part of a family of many kids. Didn't always have food, had to go through a lot of rough stuff, and my dad was close friends with his father. My dad remembers how he was born. Dad remembers how he just was, grew, grew, how he grew up, became a teenager. Just remembers everything. And the young man says, I remember you out of everybody that ever visited our house. My dad's like, why, 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 why did you remember me? He said, because I remember every time, every time you would come and visit our family, you would always come with mandarins, you'd come with all kinds of food and sweets, you'd come with all kinds of stuff, and you bring it to our house, and you give it to my dad to help him out. And I remembered you were my favorite guy who ever visited, because we knew if this guy comes, we got fruits, we got candy, we got bread, we got food, we're going to be hooked up. You know, it's much to our shame that our Christianity lacks those simple things. Those things you don't learn in Bible school. Interns, you don't learn these things in internship. When God's word is in your heart, when you know that he sees everything, when you're more paying attention not to what people say or think, listen, you'll never be able to impress him but you are able to please him. The only time he was impressed, and it wasn't more so impressed, he was amazed. He was amazed, Jesus was amazed at two moments in the Gospels. He was amazed at the unbelief of people, and he was amazed at the faith of people. You can't impress him, but you can certainly please him. And my friend, the God who sees what's in your heart, you can live a life to please him. That's not, oh, Pastor George showed up or somebody, oh, Pastor Slimes, oh, Pastor Slimes, okay, uh, clean up, hey, hey tuck, your, tuck your shirt in, bro, it's like hanging too long. Hey, hey Pastor Slimes, what's up, man? I remember me and Pastor Slimes are standing with some young guys, and one of, one of our young dudes, I'm like, no, no, no names, one of our young dudes is standing there, and, and the conversation, I don't know how we got into this conversation, but they start talking about girls. Yep, they start, girls, they, guys talk about you, they start talking about girls. Yo, this girl, she's got like a hundred handfuls of raisins at her house. That's what I heard. And this girl, she's got a hundred cakes always ready. I can come over anytime. Just giving you some, some secrets, some tips. Not Applebee's, but your house and desserts. Um, and we're talking in this conversation. They're talking about girls. Me and Pastor Slocker stand there like, we, we glance at each other for a moment. We're like, are you serious? So he's just, just joining the conversation. Both of us are married. And one of the young books. He, he gets so in like 
Vlad would say, in the send portal. He, he, he is so in it right now. With this conversation, he's like, he forgets that I'm standing there and that Slavica can stand there. You know what he says? He's like, bro, this girl, she is so hot. And he remembers that me and Slavica are there. And this is what comes out of his mouth. He's like, she is so hot. Healthy? And me, me and Slavic are like, what? Is this the new thing to say? I'm like, kid, you're a Trump. I knew exactly what you were going to say. She's hot, right? He didn't know I even knew that word. I'm like, homie, my, hot, my wife is hot. She's hotter than any girl you're talking about. She is so healthy. And all, all the all the guys, <laughs> healthy, what a stupid idiot. <laughs> but why, why does that change when certain people are in your group? We, me, me Vod's parents just flew into town. We took him to Hot Springs. Homie's been to Hot Springs? Some of you do. We are at Hot Springs, and there was a crew there. And I, and I made I made eye contact with one of them. They knew who I was. I knew who he was. Comes to you sometimes. I don't see him here. And right, I don't see him here. Okay, I'm sharing this. And so I saw, I, we made eye contact. They're chilling with us in the hot spring. And then they go off. They got this, like, they got the grill there. I'm like, what? I'm like, you guys, get a, you guys get a boat and cross over? I'm like, and he's like, no, we carried all this over through the cold river. I'm like, man, if you were that devoted to Christianity <laughs> as much as you are to a hot spring, bro, you'd be doing mighty things for God. Anyways, he was there with the grill, with the coolers, with everything, chairs. They carried this stuff over, over the cold river. Ain't no joke. And he's sitting there. And, I, and, I, and we're now in the hot spring. They're off to the side and they're listening to music. And my wife's like, I don't think they're listening to good stuff. And I'm like, what? And so I get up from the hot spring, and I just start walking by them to get into the cold river after the hot spring experience. You know what I'm saying? Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Boom, immune system. Boom, immune blood flow. And so I get in the cold. I get in the cold. And as I begin to get in the cold water, I hear old school Christian music turn on. How great is how God. Sing with me. How great is how God. And all will see how. And I'm like, I'm like, even I don't listen to that. I'm like, what are they doing? They trying to impress me because they ain't impressing me. If they ain't impressing me, they ain't impressing God because you can put on the front, you can worship in a certain way, talk in a certain way. But my friend, God sees your heart. I'm spinning all everybody. God sees your heart. And my, I come back to the husband, my wife starts laughing. She said, they changed the music because of you. And she's in the hospital. I'm like, uh, I started laughing too. But then I'm like, man, that's stupid. Just keep listening to that garbage. What's the difference of you changing the station and when I leave, you go right back to it? It just shows me what's in your heart. What's the point of a musical buildup in our worship if we are as silent as the dead after the buildup's over? Because it's about what's in our heart. I don't know at what point in our generation we separated prayer and seeking God's face out of our worship. 
let's stay with the sets, let's stay with the lyrics, let's be smooth in our transitions, let's build up properly. I'm all about us being professional. But my friends, where did we take out seeking God's face and praying and crying out when we were worshiping him? Where did we lose changing the whole set because we feel the anointing come and we begin to cry out, I exalt thee. We begin to cry out because his presence is here and we're staying here. We're pressing in. He's the reason why we worship. Something has been lost because we are focusing on everything we see. But I think Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think the things we're focusing on, he's not focusing on. I might impress my neighbor, but I'm not pleasing him. Because he sees this. And this is more important than your neighbor. Would you stand up to your feet? Please don't look to the right or to the left. Be distracted in any way. My first invitation to you is if your heart, if your heart, my friend, not your words, not your church attendance, not what church membership you have, but my friend, if your heart, if your heart is far from him, this is why we're here. Whether it's sin, whether it's being comfortable, whether you've been focusing too much on everything, but not the one thing that he sees. If this place is far from him, I want you to come to the front. Don't think, this, don't think the devil needs you. My friend, if you're living in sin, the Bible says you are a slave to sin. And if you are a slave to sin, that means Satan is your master. And his only goal for you is to kill, to steal, and to destroy everything that God has placed inside of you and everything God has intended for your life. Come. Come if your heart is far from him. You don't prove anything to anybody standing where you are. Listen, so many, so many moments I just stood still when the altar was for me, but I didn't impress anybody. And unfortunately, those moments, I did not please God when he was calling and knocking on my heart. I come against every distraction. I come against man's opinion. I come against every false fear. I come against every lie of the enemy. In Jesus' mighty name, if your heart is far from him, I invite you, come forward. Come forward. 
let your life that no one sees become pleasing to God. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.